Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. Just be you. Like, they hired you. They promoted you. Just be you. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from John Garrett. As you can tell, a little different accountant than our typical guest. I invited John on the show for many reasons. First, as you'll be able to tell right away, he's just a really funny guy. He is literally a professional comedian. However, he is also an accountant like the rest of us. He started out his career with one of the big four firms and worked several years in industry before pursuing his alternative passion, comedy. The real reason, or at least the biggest reason, I invited him on the show though, is to talk about his insights on how we can be true to ourselves, both in the workplace and really in life in general. I think everyone, truly everyone, will be able to gain some piece of advice from this interview. I really enjoyed recording it. If you do find this episode has been valuable to you, please visit us online at www.whereaccountantsgo.com to subscribe to the podcast, or you can do so through your favorite podcast app as well, of course. Once again, that's www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's John Garrett, a CPA, professional speaker, comedian, host of his own podcast show as well, and even a soon-to-be author. Here's John Garrett. Well, hello, John. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much, Mark. I'm excited to be here. Wonderful. Well, for our audience, we have John Garrett on the line with us today. And I know I frequently start the shows off saying that it's going to be a unique experience or something different. But this time, we truly are doing a show that's totally outside the box. <laughs> right. I mean it this time. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I'm not sure John actually knows where the box is, although we'll probably find out in this interview. Absolutely. Well, I became aware of John a couple weeks ago when he was a presenter at the TSCPA conference, and he had just some really great insight that I found unique and 100% on target for professionals looking to grow their careers. The unusual part, as you could tell probably, is that John is a comedian and professional speaker now, but he did start his career as an accountant just like all of us, so he really does understand our world. Now, I can't say much more about this myself, John, because I know at this point the audience is going to want to just get into, you know, the meat and everything. But I do want to start at the sure. beginning. How did you initially get influenced or think about starting your career as an accountant? What led you to accounting in the first place? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you the truth. is a D in physics. That's what got me into accounting. I was engineering all the way. I was going to be, uh, you know, just an electrical engineer on a nuclear submarine and all that. And then I got, went to the University of Notre Dame from a really tiny, tiny high school and just got hammered. And uh, D in physics. And then my birthday is on April 15th. 
and I've got a little bit of limited social skills, so apparently accounting is for me. And I was like, whoa, that's the counselor's not very nice. No, but it was, yeah, the D in physics was what pushed me. And I was like, well, what's the degree I can get that prolongs the grow-up decision? Because it was business, but, you know, if you get a finance degree, you have to do finance. If you get a marketing degree, you have to do marketing. But I can get an accounting degree and still not decide. You know, you could do accounting, you do finance, you can go into marketing, you can do all this stuff. And so I was like, oh, sweet. So then I don't have to grow up. And so, yeah, so that's how, that's honestly how I got into accounting. And yeah, I was fortunate enough to work hard and get my GPA up to like a 3.1 by the time I graduated and then started with PricewaterhouseCoopers out of school. Wow. Okay. Well, it did work out for you then. You started at PwC. That's cool. Did you yeah. intern with them first? Or? No, no. I interned with a smaller firm called Kerber Ecken Breckel. And that's a real name. And they're uh <laughs> somewhat regional firm. I guess they have about four or five offices, mostly in St. Louis area and central Illinois and Missouri. So yeah, that's where I, I did the internship and then came back to school and had to work hard to, to get that offer. And yeah, PwC was great for me. Really enjoyed my time there and really good people. Okay. Yeah, actually, we've had a lot of PwC and former PwC people on the show. So it's you're in good company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> How long were you at PwC and what did you do? Yeah, I was at PwC for almost three years and I was in a rotational program, which was pretty cool because it was before Sarbanes-Oxley because I'm old. So I was a, a rotational program through all the different service lines. So every three to six months, you would rotate through internal audit and computer controls and M&A and external audit and something else I feel like, but I don't remember off the top of my head, not tax. And so, yeah, so every three to six months, you'd rotate through those. And then at the end of the 18 months, you would get promoted to senior. And then between you and the firm, decide on which group was best for you. And so it was really cool, really cool. And part of the internal audit rotation was you got to shadow a partner. And I got fortunate enough to be put with a partner out of Chicago who was the head of the financial services for PwC internal audit. And uh, Dick Anderson was his name. And we got to hang out. We flew to Toronto. We flew to Houston for meetings. We were in Chicago as well for where he's based out of. And so it was really great. And he really liked me. And so I think he helped pave the way for me to go into internal audit eventually. And then uh, I was moved up to Milwaukee for First Star Bank, which was the largest financial services client that PwC had at the time. It's now a U.S. bank. And yeah, it was great. I mean, it was really fun. And I really enjoyed the rotational program piece because not only was I working with different clients, but I was learning different advisory skills and how to better serve clients in different ways. And, you know, all the different cool things that accountants can do with their degree, not just tax or audit. You know, there's okay. so much more that we can provide. And, and I think I'm built more forward thinking as well. The idea of going in and, you know, just doing taxes of something that already happened or auditing something that already happened wasn't really appealing to me. I was more of, how can I make this business run better? Or with this merger, how can we make things more efficient when they come together? And things like that is what I really enjoy. Okay. I'm curious. I mean, just seeing some of your energy level <laughs> at, the, at the conference and, and talking to you, did you have a hard time when you got out of the rotational the rotation you know, period honestly, where you had to settle in? <laughs> right. Honestly, no, because the team, we were fully outsourced internal audit team. So first, our bank completely outsourced their internal audit to PwC. And so we were, I never once stepped in the Milwaukee office. I don't even know where it is or met anyone there. I just only knew my team right there. And so we were a really cool group, despite me being a part of it. Yeah, it was really great. And it was a relaxed group. I think we had, well, we also had the external side. So there were maybe 
15 or 20 of us total. But yeah, it was great. I mean, it was really, it was almost like a sitcom, to be honest, <laughs> like <laughs> the group of people that was involved. I mean, we had all kinds of characters and whatever. And yeah, it was, I mean, of course, I was the one in the middle stirring up the pot, but it was still a lot of fun. And we got a lot of good work done, too, at the same time. That's cool. That's cool. What was your next move after PwC? Or I guess, how long were you there? And what was your next move? Yeah, yeah. So I was there for about three years. And then I moved to Schwarz Pharma, which is a German-owned pharmaceutical company that doesn't exist anymore. But they had an, their U.S. headquarters were outside of Milwaukee. And so I went there to industry and I was in product contracts, which is pretty cool. So I got to deal with the legal side and the sales side, but I provided a lot of the numbers as the analyst to the research side so of it. And so that was really cool because it was using the accounting and the analyst mind, but for sales and legal stuff, which I really enjoyed. And so that, yeah, that was a lot of fun as well and got to learn how pharma works and some of that stuff. And yeah, so I was there for about probably two years and then I moved to Indianapolis. You know, I was dating a girl there that I don't talk to anymore. And yeah, so I moved there for a startup, like a nutraceutical, so kind of like nutritional supplements and things like that. It had been around for a couple of years. And so I came in as the business development side and kind of nurtured some relationships with Eli Lilly and some big pharma where we could do some of their smaller projects off on the side. And then, yeah, but it wasn't quite exactly the right fit. So I did that for about a year and then... I think the main owner didn't want to grow as fast as I had us wanting to go. So then, yeah, left that and went to IU Health. Well, it was called Clarion, but it's now IU Health, and it's a hospital network in Indiana. Riley Children's Hospital is probably the more famous one, but it's five hospitals in Indiana. And so, yeah, so I was in the accounting department there, and, yeah, about a year and a half later, left that full-time to do stand-up comedy all over the country. So uh, wow. that's when the accounting career took an abrupt turn and I stopped getting CPE. So that was in May of 2005. So if anyone knows a quick way that I can get about 350 hours of CPE, that'd be awesome. But uh, <laughs> Only 350. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm guessing. I mean, I think I get an hour every time I speak, maybe. So uh, maybe it's 349 now after last week in San Antonio. But yeah, it's all good. <laughs> So was the comedy career or getting into that realm something you always pictured or did you just wake no up way, and man. you go, you know, like, who I'm does funny. that? I mean, like, no, nobody does that. Like, that's crazy. Like you accidentally do it and then you accidentally get good. And then, you know, and I don't trust me, no one should leave their jobs to do what their hobby is. Like nobody. And that includes me. You know, it was, uh, I had this perfect storm where, I had been doing comedy for about five years and I started, you know, just not getting paid. Then I started to get paid. Then I started to get, take vacation days to go fly to go get paid. And then we had this new manager come in from the outside who did not get along with me at all. And so it was a little bit of a perfect storm where the comedy was really starting to take off. I was making appearances on the Bob and Tom morning radio show, which is in about 150 markets nationwide. I was hanging out with Jay Leno and meeting Jerry Seinfeld and getting to open for Louis Anderson in Atlantic City and, you know, cool things like this. And then, you know, coming back to my day job, doing a good job at my day job, just fine. But then the work side, we got this new manager and we didn't get along at all. And 
He was very one of those hoverer types where, you know, here's the project that needs to be done by Friday. But then every hour he would walk through and like see. And so I was like a five year old child and I would have ESPN.com's website minimized on my computer, except for when I'd see him coming by, I would bring it up. So it was the exact opposite of what you think you should do. So every single time he walked by my cube, I had ESPN's website up on my screen every single time. And yet I always got my work done and early and, you know, right every time. And so he was starting to lose his mind because he's like, I don't know when John's doing this and how he's doing this or whatever. He's just completely goofing around and reading the internet and blah. It's like, dude, who cares? Like, I'm getting my work done. Like, quit babysitting me. I'm an adult. Yeah, so we didn't get along. And so... I decided that it was kind of this perfect storm of let's give it a go and see what happens. I had a call with Wayne Cotter, who hosted A&E's Evening at the Improv in the late 80s and on TV. And he was with IBM as a computer engineer. And he left that to move to New York and do stand-up and all that and worked out for him just fine. So I had a call with him and he's like, what do you have to lose? I mean, you have an accounting degree from Notre Dame. You pass the CPA exam. You can get a job tomorrow. I'm like, what do you have to lose? And I was like, well, can we three-way call my parents on this and uh, explain <laughs> it to them? <laughs> like, <'cause... laughs> yeah, so, you know, I gave it a go. And that was May of 2005 and, you know, never looked back, really. And so that turned into something much bigger now, which is what you got to see, you know, at the Texas State Society annual meeting, which is, I think, a really cool thing that I'm being able to make a difference in how people look at how they work and who they really are and what their expertise is. Yeah, it was really good information. I'm picturing you getting that first paid comedy gig where, you know, oh. the end of the conversation is how much do you charge? And you're like, oh, you're going to pay me? You know, how, how did you? Oh, no, man, the first paid one, man, it's amazing. So it was in Madison, Wisconsin, State Street Comedy Club. I lived in Milwaukee. Yeah, and so my there was another buddy of mine, Tyler Kroll, who's so funny, and then Jason Roberts. And then on occasion, there were some guys that would join us as well, but we would drive over every Wednesday for the open mic night. And then finally, one time, the manager's like, hey, you're pretty good. You want to MC this weekend? And the headliner was Mike Veneman, who's passed away now. And I think Todd McCune maybe was the middle. And yeah, and I got, I'm trying to remember, it was a Thursday, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. And I think I got, yeah, I got $125. It was $25 a show. And yeah, my parents came up from St. Louis to the comedy club to see. And then, yeah, when I got the check, I actually brought it before cashing it. I brought it to the office and made a copy of it on blue paper. So it looks like a check and I still have it. I still have that copy. Yeah, it was really cool. It was a, and then, you know, but it's different when it's your hobby, you know, when it's a hobby, it's just fun. And, you know, I just started doing it because it was just something different. I was at a, one of those trainings for the rotational program was out in L.A. And it was like two or three weeks. And so we there was a group of us that would rent a car and go down to the improv in Hollywood. And Whose Line Is It Anyway was a big deal then. With Drew oh, Carey wow. and yeah. Ryan Stiles and Colin Mockery and, and Brad Sherwood. And they would tape on Thursdays. And then they would come to the improv. And in the middle of a the show, there would be maybe 12 comedians. And in the middle would be a 45-minute, completely uncensored who's line. So you're sitting in the audience, and Drew Carey's right there, like next to you. And then all of a sudden, they're up on stage doing their thing. And then after, you're hanging out at the bar with all of them and all the comedians. And I was like, well, I can be as not funny as some of these other stand-ups that were And I was like, this is L.A., you know, on a Thursday night. Yeah, and so I just that's how it all got started with that. So it's PWC's fault, totally. 
<laughs> PWC turned me into a comedian. I love it. That's yep. Cool. Yep. No, I, I'm thinking the answer is no, but like your comedy that you do other places, it's not all accounting centric then. Oh, no. And I mean, okay. even the comedy that I did there at the Texas Society, I mean, I talked about being in the marching band in college and stuff like yeah, that, too. I mean, you know, so it's it's clean observational humor. I mean, certainly I talk about being an accountant. I mean, it's the same jokes that I, I mean, I could have done my whole set there and it would have been completely appropriate. You know, it's it's the same idea, just the clean observational type of humor of I look at the world through a little bit of a different lens than everybody else. And so, you know, just step into my world a little bit. Yeah, see the weirdness, I guess. <laughs> so what all are you doing now? Like speaking wise and what is, because I know you have a podcast too. I mean, what is, yeah. what is your business? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the Green Apple podcast is really fun. You know, similar to you, it's just interviewing professionals, mostly accountants, who are known for a hobby or a passion outside of work. What happened for me is I was brought into a conference to speak, and it was 12 years after I had left that St. Louis office to move to Milwaukee. And a partner from the tax side who I never met, I don't even know this guy, I've never met him still, named Mark Bumgarner, who was at the, he had moved to PwC Houston. Yeah, he told the event planner, out of all the names of the speakers, he right away goes, oh, I know John Garrett, that's the guy who did comedy at night. And it was 12 years after I had left that St. Louis office. And this is a guy I've never met. And he remembers me for something that I did for fun at night. You know, it wasn't even work related, which is insane. But it's actually not when you start to learn more of the brain science behind it and stuff like that. And so that's what I'm working on now is just for the past four years is, you know, speaking to firms and at conferences and working a bit on the consulting piece for, you know, culture is, you know, create the firm that you always wanted and that people have expertise outside of the office and outside of our degrees and outside of all the certifications that people have after their name, there's an expertise that different people have because you and I both have a CPA designation, but, you know, one of us is better at something that has nothing to do, you think, with accounting, and yet it actually makes you better at your job. I mean, you know, my ability to be humorous in somewhat awkward situations when you're auditing people certainly made me a much better auditor. I mean, you know, it, actually getting the information that you want from people wasn't a challenge for me, ever. People genuinely liked having me come to their office. And so it's like, all right, you know, there's certain skills that other people have that I don't, you know. And so the, these hobbies and these passions and these interests outside of work that seem like a distraction are actually not. They actually make us better at our jobs. And so my whole view of the culture of your organization starts outside the office doors is what I preach. And what I work with firms on, on a consulting basis is, you know, how can we get more of the outside in? How can we get people sharing their interests and, you know, learning the skills of what they love to do? And, you know, what are their strengths? And let's play to that and make that happen. So, yeah, so that's what I do now is, yeah, mostly the speaking, the podcast is a fun way to just show people that the stereotype is upside down. I mean, what people think accountants are is so wrong and upside down that, that it's frustrating. And the people that, that believe that the most, I think, are accountants themselves. And it's like, come on, everybody, like, everyone's going to think we're dorks if we also think we're dorks. Like, stop, you know, go be an engineer, you know, get out of here. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, because we're not. 
I mean, you know, I mean, I've had over 150 people that I've interviewed for the Green Apple podcast where, you know, I mean, some of them are truly amazing and some of them are just, you know, they just like to ride their bike. Well, that's great. You know, they cycle 20 miles a day or whatever. And it's like, all right, sweet. You know, that makes you who you are, because not only that, though, is like that passion or interest is with you no matter what position you have within the firm or if you leave and go to another company or whatever. You still like to, whatever it is, do stained glass or paint or play an instrument. I mean, that's still with you. That's who you really are. And so I think it's time that we harness that and celebrate that and shine a light on that, you know? One of the things that you talked about in the presentation that stood out to me is, I think it was a personal interview or your own interview experience where you made the point that there was one line on your resume that ended up taking up the majority oh, yeah. of the interview time, you know, and let's yeah. talk a little bit about that from a practical perspective. I mean, how, yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what interview advice do you have? Given yeah, well, I mean, overall, I think that professionalism will suffocate your personality. And I think it makes you a shell of who you really are. And it doesn't want you to bring all your skill set and talent and expertise to work. Because, you know, my personality, if I check that at the door, I'm not as good of an auditor as if I come in with a little bit of humor and can diffuse situations. And so, you know, no business school tells you to get a sense of humor because it'll make you a better accountant or no business school tells you to, you know, learn how to play an instrument or, you know, whatever it is because it'll make you better at your job. And yet it does. And so professionalism is everywhere and it just slowly suffocates you because it's a false promise of, you know, get those degrees, get all those certifications. And don't get me wrong, you need to do that. But that's not the end all be all. That's the starting point. Because Everyone's got that. Everyone that you're going up against for a job, everyone that works at the firm, all has a degree and a certification. So what makes you different? Oh, I have another certification? Not really. You know, I mean, that doesn't make you that much different. But if it's, oh, I like to do this and, you know, cycle and play an instrument and art and play a sport and you know then that now you're different now all of a sudden that's who you really are that's your personality that's your passion and interest outside of work and so on my resume i've got you know work experience which is pretty good i've got a degree that's pretty good but does that make me stand out from everyone else like no i'm just another accountant with another degree i mean who cares but then you get down to the very bottom and it's you know, professional stand-up comedian and big brothers, big sisters of central Indiana. And it's like, all right, that's what people end up talking about. You just hand them the resume and then they're like, well, you know, we talked for about three or five minutes on, oh, okay, so what was going to Notre Dame like? Or what about this job? Or, okay, so what's up with this comedy stuff down here at the bottom? And then we talk about that for like a half hour. And then, you know, you get a job offer because you're a real person with a personality. I mean, you're going to be around these people for more waking hours than your family, you know, so they want to know who you really are because there's going to be some stressful times. There's going to be some, you know, exciting fun times. And who am I going to be in the trenches with here? And, you know, that's, I think that's important to just be you. I mean, and once you get hired, just be you. Like they hired you. They promoted you. Just be you. Don't be what you think a senior associate is supposed to be. Or I think this is how a partner is supposed to act. Oh, no. You're now you're, you're an actor in a play and you didn't even get cast in your own role. Like, what the hell? It's terrible. Be you. Just be you. Yeah. 
Yeah, we try to strip so much of the personal stuff out of interviews, and then you end up getting a job where the employer really doesn't even know you yet. You know, <laughs> they don't know who totally, you are. and you don't know them. Yeah. You know, and it's not drama. Like there's a big difference between a passion and an interest. And, you know, I just broke up with my fourth girl this month. Like nobody cares about that stuff. That's distracting. But who you really are and your passion and your interests outside of work, that really matters. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'll tell you, there's one thing. This is probably inappropriate, but I'm going to say it anyway. I, I sort of disagree on the fact that they care about that one line on your resume. I think they only care about half of that line because the big brothers, big sisters, that kind of volunteer work, it's important, but it's sort of become table stakes too because yeah, every graduate out of college has you know three or four volunteer positions they've held, which is wonderful, and we need to do that stuff, Yeah, but it's the comedy line that people are interested in or you're an avid runner or I'm a runner. So I have to, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And the thing is, is like, you know, clearly I was the only one who did comedy that I ever worked around ever. And I wish that there was another one, but yet this guy remembers me 12 years later for that. So it doesn't even have to be something that someone else does. It's just something that you truly love to do. And people can tell, and we're not in sixth grade anymore where everyone's going to make fun of you. People are actually going to think it's cool. And they're going to ask follow-up questions. Here's what I, because I fly all the time. And this is my favorite thing, because I don't like to talk to people on flights usually. And so whenever someone's like, oh, so what do you do? If I say I'm a comedian and a speaker, we're going to be talking the whole flight. I don't even care if it's to Australia. We're talking the entire flight. And that's a long time. So if now I say I'm an accountant and the conversation is done. There's never a follow-up question after that, like ever. It's like, oh, okay. And scene. You know, it's just like, and yet... Because they already fill in the gaps of what they think we are, and we're not any of that, you know? And so it's just, so be you, you know, bring all that expertise that you have and that personality to work. Because, and if they don't appreciate it, then find somewhere that does appreciate it, you know? Because there's plenty of places that do, and that see this as a big thing, because the people are the greatest asset. I mean, you can have all the clients in the world, but if you have, don't have any people to do the work, it doesn't matter. So, In all fairness, I do challenge you to do that next time you're on the airplane. You tell them you're an accountant because I guarantee you they're going to ask you a tax question, actually. Is what's no, no. Doing. I do it all the time, man. I do it all the time. And there's never – yeah, maybe in February they're like, oh, do you want to do my taxes? I'm like, oh, I don't really know. I'm, I don't do that You because, know, yeah, I don't do taxes yeah. anyway. <laughs> like It's like a Sudoku puzzle for me kind of. You know, I'm like, oh, there's no seven in this column. I guess that's where it goes. <laughs> and uh, apparently that kind of creativity is frowned upon by the IRS. So. From a practical standpoint on resumes, do you think we just need to make sure we add a few more items like that then? You know, because obviously yeah, you I mean, definitely have to one pay. or two things. Yeah, I mean, definitely one or two things. I mean, for sure. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just the norm that it's at the bottom. I've spoken plenty of times where after somebody comes up who's a quote-unquote resume coach, and they're like, yeah, I tell my people to take all that off. And I'm like, great, because then all my people will stand out even more. I mean, you know, get back to me on who gets the job, because yeah. I bet it's not yours. I mean, I'll bet good money on that. And it's just, you know, it just shows that you have something outside. Of, you have a life. You're a real person. You know, it's so frustrating to me that, that people try to put on this facade of, what they think they're supposed to be. You know, even the managing partner of big firms have a life. 
I mean, outside of work. They, they have passions and interests that they love to do. And the most frustrating thing to me is these places that hire people because of the extracurricular activities, like you alluded to earlier, all the volunteer work and stuff like that that a lot of these college kids have, these places hire them because of all the extracurricular activities, and then they never give them time to go do the extracurricular activities. And then they're like, why is engagement so low? I'm like, maybe because you're slowly suffocating people. I mean, that's them. Like one guy, Mark Winburn, who was on the podcast, he referred to his singing as breathing in happy. And you're not letting people breathe in their happy. You know, let them go live. That's why we're working. We work so we can live. I mean, no one's doing accounting because it's super fun. You know, I mean, if accounting didn't pay well, would you still do accounting? Probably not. But your running doesn't pay anything, and yet you still do it, you know? Good point. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's where it's at. Good point. Good point. Well, thank you. This is exactly the reason I wanted you on the show, because I know you have a real practical viewpoint on letting your real self show, you know, in the workplace. And so this is exactly what I wanted to get into. Yeah. Thank you. My email inbox is being flooded as we speak by people. <laughs> This guy's crazy. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm an engineer. I take offense to that. <laughs> yeah, to your point, because I listened to a few of your shows before this recording. So I want to make sure I knew who I was getting on the phone, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, you had a, a couple ladies that enjoy fiddling, you know, like yeah. fiddling and right. the guy that collects baseball cards. And so it doesn't right. have to be comedy. I mean, it's just no. anything outside work. Yeah. 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 I mean, literally anything at all. I mean, I've had everything from like a woman who does a Susan G. Komen 5K walk once a year to a guy that played minor league baseball for three years professionally to, yeah, these two senior associates at a firm in Nashville just during busy season we're like we're losing our minds and one of them said I've always wanted to learn how to play the fiddle and the other one was like well I've always had a fiddle and never learned how to play it and so they were like let's sign up for lessons and so on Saturday afternoons they would go and take fiddle lessons and they're not even that good they admitted that they just started <laughs> like and it's hard and yet everyone in their firm now knows them as hey are you, aren't you one of the fiddlers and it's like I've been here for three or four years and now you know my name because of fiddling? Awesome. You know? But it just proves my point. Like, oh, you're a senior associate? Yeah, so is everyone else on this floor. Oh, you're a senior associate that likes to play the fiddle. Now I know who you are. You know? Too true. Well, I do want to get to the final questions I end every show with. But there's one I include every once in a while. And I definitely want to ask you this because I think it's very appropriate. One of our listeners and actually one of our former guests suggested I add this in. If you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of critical advice, what do you think that might be? I guess it would be think bigger, especially in what I'm doing now, just being a lot more confident in delivering this message and making it bigger and badder, you know? And when I first started, it was, you know, some random guy that I never met that remembered me after a conference. And now, you know, I'm actually changing the way people think about the culture of their firm and how work happens. And it took a while for me to get over that hump of who am I to tell anybody how to do things better. You know, I didn't walk on the moon or win a Super Bowl or anything like that. I'm just a regular guy that, you know, sees things a little bit differently. But yeah, but definitely, you know, thinking bigger and not, yeah, I mean, I guess just not playing scared, you know, just letting it all out there. Because uh, good things happen. When you hold back, 
I mean, it's like an athlete in sports. If you hold back, you can actually hurt yourself. So you need to go full speed all the time. And it's sometimes counter to what we naturally think. So I guess I would say that. I mean, I don't know if it applies to the listeners, but, but I think it does in a way. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good advice. And actually, I think you are delivering a very important message. People need to hear this stuff. So this is Well, I appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. You're doing important work in the world, John. You really are. See? Be proud. Right? Right? (laughs) They're still not done crying for when I told them I'm leaving accounting. But one day. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, final three questions. First one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Well, I mean, comedy-wise, I guess it would be, I mean, I opened for the band Train, so that was pretty awesome because the audience was bigger than my hometown. So uh, that was pretty crazy. To do that was pretty cool. And then I guess guess I'm in the process of writing a book that'll be out later this year that once that's done, that'll probably be my proudest moment because that's pretty hard to do. And it, I think, will really make a big impact on a lot of people, the ones that can't hear me speak. And so it'll really help spread that message more. So I guess saying that I'm going to write a book and being in the process of doing it is, I don't know if that counts. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. I'm going to send this to you six months from now. If your book's not out, I'm saying, come on, accountability. <laughs> right. And I'm going to act like I don't know you, Mark. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> Bam. <laughs> that's, that's too cold. Too cold. The second question. Tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course. But the bigger, the better. I'm expecting great things in this mistake question, John. So don't let me down. Yeah. A mistake. A mistake I made. Well, this one's funny. I was doing a comedy show at a comedy club in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Dr. Grins. And when you're on a comedy stage, the lights are very intense and the room is very dark. So you can't really see. You can just see the first row of tables. And then after that, it's kind of silhouettes. And then after that, it's complete darkness. So you really can't see anything. But in the silhouette area, I was doing some relationship jokes and somebody kept hitting another person in the back of the head. And this other person had a shorter haircut. And so I said, why do you keep hitting that dude in the head? And then in the same breath, because I immediately sensed that it was a woman (laughs) from the energy in the room. So literally, this is how it came out in the same breath. It was, why do you keep hitting that dude in the head? That's not a dude, is it? I mean, it was literally that fast where I realized I am not, that was the wrong pronoun. That was my bad. And afterwards, she came up and she was laughing and, you know, but she was like, I get it all the time. And I'm like, all right, well, that's not on me then. That's on you. Like, that's on you. (laughs) So that wasn't such a terrible mistake, I guess, but it was pretty embarrassing and funny at the same time. But I guess the other, I'm trying to think of like a colossal mistake. I guess, you know, it was, and I guess it'll lead to my best advice quote. It's when I first started doing this for firms, I just wanted to get the message out there as much as possible. And so I would speak to any firm anywhere, anytime. And I never really vetted them and never really got to talk to them about, you know, are we a good fit for each other? Is this even going to work? And so there was one firm that I did an event for and they're a pretty decent sized firm. And yeah, it didn't go as well as it should have because the firm wanted to be very some of the representatives wanted to be very controlling and wanted a full script from me and what are you going to say and this and that and tried to control the whole thing as opposed to just letting me do my thing. And so now I guess I'm a little better at vetting places that I want to go and, you know, making sure that I can actually make an impact as opposed to places that just want to put a bandaid over a gaping wound and say they did it type of thing. So I don't know if those are any good. Those aren't even that terrible, I guess, but... (laughs) 
No, that's cool. That's cool. Well, as you alluded to, the the last question I asked, and then we'll close it down, what is the best advice that you've ever received? Yeah. So the best advice was this quote that I got, someone told me about. It happens to be from Bill Cosby, but it was from Bill Cosby before all the craziness. But the quote is, I don't know the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everybody. And I think that's really important because we're always trying to bend over backwards for other people and not actually be ourselves, where if we're just ourselves, then, you know, we can really bring the most impact to what we're doing. And so that's an important thing that people forget about a lot is just trying to please everyone else when you can just be yourself. Good point. Well, that's that's perfect to end this on. Thank you. Thank you, John. Well, for the audience, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited that website, please do so. We're going to have John's information as well as show notes for all our previous episodes. Once again, that is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. We've also got certification information there and review courses as well. On that note, John, I'm sure some people are going to want to get in touch with you. So what's the best way to reach out to you or to find you on the web? Where would you like sure, to go? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, therecoveringcpa.com. Check out the website there. There's some music video parodies and stuff. Or like you mentioned, greenapplepodcast.com as well. And yeah, I'd love to hear from everybody. Connect on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or whatever's going on now. Let's connect. I appreciate it. Perfect. No problem. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.